Hey everyone, and welcome to the newest edition of Artist Avenue. This time around, we do another team up with the Qbert School, where Lloyd Burgery got the chance to sit down with High Iceman and Fernando Ruiz, two phenomenal artists that have been in the industry for just about ever. Now keep in mind, this is just the first half of the audio of a video that will appear on the Qbert School's YouTube page. So if you want to get the full story, check them out over there. With that being said, Lloyd, take it away. Um, I, I told Hi earlier that I was just going to say, hey, Hi, tell us from the beginning, what was it like? And then just let him talk for the next 90 minutes, but I don't know that. It was dark. <laughs> <laughs> he said there should be light. <laughs> then you don't want to go back that far. Not that far. Oh. No. Uh, <laughs> I do want to pick up, though, uh, you were just in the library, and uh, I overheard you talking about, like, the origins of, like, Batman and, like, some of the some of the, the uh, more iconic characters that we have today. Um, and I know a lot of people um, just kind of wonder like, okay, like they see Batman or they see characters like that and they wonder like, where did it come from or did it just happen or, or what? Like, what was that kind of evolution like? Because before there were capes, there were like, there were other comics out. You want his story or the, <laughs> the way it really was? I want the way, what do we want? Where really, where really was Gustav Dory uh -huh. and the Dante's Inferno? Yes, uh, actually has Batman and the and the uh, engravings. No kidding. That's what we were looking for uh, upstairs in the library. Right. And of course, a cartoon. Well, artists at that time uh, always went to Dory first. Uh, those were Bible uh, pictures and things like that. Right. And there was a bat. There's a three or four Batman in the in the engravings. Uh, and uh, if you look at them, you see where Batman came from. Wow. But his story was that he just dreamed it up. Uh -huh. He needed something to beat Superman, so right. came up. But essentially, it's uh, Gust of Dory, 1848. Nice. So Uncle Uncle Gustav, first uh, graphic artist. The very first graphic novel artist. Yes. Right, right. I know. Um, I remember when I took your class. Um, it just so happened that I bought uh, Dory's like illustration book as just reference because I thought it was really cool. I, I was in Barnes and Noble, just kind of goofing off one day, and I was like, "Hey, this is cool." I had no idea like he was like the guy, you know. Uh, and I know you always did a good job of telling us not to. Like everybody has their own artist, their, their favorite artist, but you always emphasize find out who your artists were influenced by and find out who those guys were influenced by. Now, where did you where did you like get that that bit of wisdom from? Oh, what influenced me? Yeah, the big three: uh, Hal Foster, uh, Milton, and Alex Raymond. Ooh. Ooh. And, and 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 how did they grab your attention? Uh, Sundays. Um, this is the days before uh, color movies. Uh, uh, very little color in uh, magazines, only cover magazine, you know, the cover movie. Mm -hmm. And Sunday was this blast of color. Newspapers came wrapped in the newspaper, in the comic. Mm -hmm. That's what sold the newspaper. Wow. So people would buy three New York newspapers with the same news but different comics in each one. And they said, 
we buy that for the kids. Because adults never read comics. Right, right. Except if they didn't get that newspaper that week, they got very irate. <laughs> but uh, it's still the same story. I never read comics, but I do notice this comic, and what do you think of that, that kind of thing? Right, right. Yeah. Huh. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, so, Fernando, I, I want to go back and forth uh, when we start out here. What, um, what hooked you? Into comics? Into comics, yeah. Well, um, may have probably started with uh, Mickey Mouse. Okay. Disney cartoons, um, a lot of the superhero cartoons that were around in the 70s, which were reruns of cartoons from the 60s, the right. filmation stuff, and uh, Super Friends, that sort of thing. Right. Um, Kurt Swan, Superman, he was a big favorite of mine when I was a kid, and uh, Charles Schultz, Drawing Peanuts, and of course, Archie. Archie. <laughs> no, not too. <laughs> um, do you remember like your first like like the first time you saw a comic and like you know like what was that like? Yeah, the first ones were the the hand me downs from my brother. He had them and he didn't care about them and I liked them because they were it was if you like stories and reading and writing yeah. and you like drawing. This was one place that offered both. Right. So to me, it was the best fusion of, of visual storytelling. Nice, nice. And after that, the, the rest is. Uh, did you now the Cuber School? Is that where you came for art training, or did you get trained elsewhere? Uh, I, after high school, I went to college, mm -hmm. uh, Caldwell College here in Caldwell, New Jersey. All right. And I was a fine art major, mm -hmm. and I, I learned drawing and painting. Uh, while I was there, I wanted to be a fine artist, right. a landscape painter. Wow. Um, but I always liked comics. And even while I was in college, I was still reading comics, and I, and I wanted to give that a shot. Right. So um, when I graduated from Caldwell, I came here. Wow. Cool. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, hi. I've, I've heard about this, uh, this collection of... Um, Newspaper uh, strips that you that you collected uh, when it came out. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? The, just the compiling of them and 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 you know what that led to, if if anything. Which collection? There's two collections. There's one of reproductions and there's one of originals. Both. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Prince Valiant, I guess, uh, is the first thing I collected. Uh, I was about uh, 10 when it started, and uh, it, it, the newspaper was a dime, right. Sunday paper. Nice. For a dime, you could get a hot dog and a soda at that time. So a newspaper wasn't number one in my... <laughs> so I'd wait the following day, and a lot of those newspapers were in the garbage, and I would grab the, the comics and clip Prince Valiant, which obviously, if you see them in the library, they were huge. Wow. And I thought I was the only one in the world collecting these things. Right. And that when I came to a point where I was meeting other young cartoonists, uh -huh. I found that Joe collected them, and yeah. uh, Jose Delbo collected them in Argentina, and some guy in Iceland was collecting them, <laughs> and some guy in Jabubi, uh, South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so it was something that a lot of people mm -hmm. started turned on to, right? Because of the uh, of his ability, and mm -hmm. it, uh, he actually forced Alex Raymond. To, you, you're probably all familiar with Flash Gordon. Yeah. His work forced Raymond to improve, and if you see early Raymond, Flash Gordon, and the later ones, you see the. Uh, the effect that uh, Hal Foster had on him. Right. And he had that effect on me too. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. So let me ask you this, this, this kind of um, speaks to something that we uh, we see all these uh, debates on uh, social media today. And uh, you know, there's an idea just here at the school just about competition um, and how you just spoke of, you know, one artist comes out and kind of raises the bar, kind of challenges yeah. the artists yeah. that, are, yeah. that are already out to, hey, you gotta step it up. Um, uh, and you got a, a chance, you know, just throughout your career to work with so many different artists. Like, what, what was that dynamic like? Was it, um, did you find that more artists uh, appreciated the new artists coming along to challenge them? You know, were they looking for that challenge or was it like, oh crap, here's this new guy. I gotta, you know, I gotta step my game up now. What, what was that like? I think it happens in school. I went to an art school in New York. Uh, everyone comes in from a high school where they're the hotshot right. cartoonist. Yeah. And you come into an art school and suddenly there's a hotter shot right. and a hottest shot. <laughs> and the hottest shot of all, and you can't believe it. Uh -huh. There's one of those can't believe it. Yeah. And that steps up your, that's the competition that also helps. But it, it's not competition because um, he causes you to work harder. Right. And. I found everyone in the class with you right. is not your competition. It could be your step to success. Mm -hmm. In my case, the first guy that got work was uh, a fellow by the name of Frank Thorne, who used to who used to be here. Red Sonia used to be hanging <laughs> here. Red Sonia, yeah. And uh, Frank got the first work in a uh, comic book company. Right. And while he was there, uh, he found out they needed somebody to do. Smoky Stoner, <coughs> and uh, it was a time when the comics were on the downside, and right. I got the job and started my career as a ghost. Nice. That isn't where I wanted to be, but that, uh -huh. I had telephone bills and all that stuff <laughs> forced. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. Um, all right, so I want to I pause there, because I, I really want to wrap that here in a second, but um, Fernando. Uh, just back back to that that competition idea. When you were coming through the Kubert School, um, your class was huge at first, right? Did you guys have like 125? 125 in my that first the, year. That was day one, first year. Day right? one, I was in one D. One D. One D. Was in the one um, B classroom today. Right. Yeah. Now, what was the uh, what was the the tone? Um, there as far as the hot, hotter, hottest shot, and I can't believe it. Like, what well, was that like? I, well, first of all, with 125, I mean, right. there were people I didn't even meet in yeah. that first year group. Yeah, so, sure, I mean, yeah. I didn't know what was going on with 1A or, yeah. you know, 1E. Um, and with 125 people, right? we were so diverse, uh -huh. you know. So there was, there was the guy you knew was the good Batman artist and the guy who was really good at drawing reading cards and the guy who was the good airbrush artist. I mean everybody had their specialties. Right. Um, 
me, I just tried to be as good as at as many different things as I could because yeah. I really wanted to hedge my bets. Yeah. I just wanted to work. Right. You know, that was that was my first goal. Uh, huh. Now, when you get, when you graduated, mm -hmm. how many were in your class? That mighty 125 uh -huh. was whittled down to a fit trim 14. Oh, wow. That's yes. like Navy Seals, man. Oh, <laughs> from, I don't remember how many we ended with uh, at the end of that first year. Right. My first year was the 1991-92 school year. Right. Um, but I know going into my second year, we had about, I'm going to say about 40 of us. Wow. Because we had two that five first-year groups were right. whittled down to two wow. second-year groups. Wow. Yeah. Every every school holiday that we had, uh -huh. we knew somebody wasn't coming back. <laughs> it's like a mystery it, it was like we were all soldiers in Vietnam. <laughs> and periodically, some of us would be picked off. Right. So you're just walking through the jungle and, boom, there goes Charlie. <laughs> you seen or heard from him again? Never, nope. But, Less competition. Right. Ah. All of a sudden, uh -huh. I'm not the best out of 125, but I'm the best out of 14. <laughs> those, are, those are way better odds. There you go. <laughs> that's that's really cool. Wow, I can't even imagine what it's like to have that many students here. I mean, my whole time here, we've never had 125 students in the entire student body. You know? Back then, I, I think we had maybe close to about 200 students in the wow. building. Wow. That's, uh, that's interesting. All right, I wanna, I wanna talk about how things have changed over the years too, but hi, um, when, when you were first, uh, when you were first uh, becoming a professional, um, was it that, uh, could, you, could you say, like when people say, well, you know, what do you do for a living? Were you just an illustrator and like you did many different things or were you specifically like, you know, like I do this, this job and this is what I do? Like what, what was when I like? first started? Yeah, when you first started. Well, coming out of art school, there's a guy named Wortham that wrote a book about seduction of the innocent. Oh, yeah. How all people that, all young people that read comics become juvenile delinquents. Right. Every mother in America started burning the books. Wow. So comic books were in the, weren't in the question. Right. So I had to look around for work, and I got job doing Valentine cards. Ah. And... Uh, Valentine cards uh, weren't a big payer, but uh, I, I've been trained as a reproduction letterer. Okay. In those days, book jackets were all done by hand. They weren't done. They weren't printed. They were actually uh, uh, lettered by hand. Wow. And designed. So yeah. uh, I started designing and package designs for the. Valentine cards, and I was getting, and I was creating fonts for each, for each group. Right? So I could do four a day. I would get twenty-five dollars for each design. Huh. But then I wanted to do comic book, uh, comic books, and right. I was getting Smoky Stover, right. which paid seventeen fifty for the page. That's seventeen dollars and fifty cents. Uh -huh. So I would do the four. Package designs make a hundred dollars, right. and about it could about be about four or five hours, mm -hmm. and then I'd spend eight hours on this.
comic page and make $17.50. <laughs> and I couldn't wait to get to that comic book page. Yeah. So I found out it's an illness, uh, people that actually stay in this school right. and work at it. Uh -huh. It's an illness. That's why in 14 we're lit. <laughs> Early on, uh, Joe created the, the you know, the, uh, our, our courses. Right. And it's a lot of work. Yeah. And it was even more work when Joe was here because he made sure that everybody had to get that deadline and didn't make it out. And one guy, early on, maybe the first class, I remember he was from California. Wow. And he came in and he was, he was distraught. And I had given him a page, an eight and a half by 11 page, to hand letter. And he had lettered half of it and then the, the last half sort of was very strange. And I said, didn't you realize that you went off a lot. He says, I had to smoke a joint just to be able to get through the page. I didn't realize he kept lettering after he smoked that thing. He didn't see it until I pointed it out. He says, you guys want a lot of work. I want to be on my sickle, and I don't want to be here. And I, I said, well, you know, that's your decision. Wow. So he went back to his sickle. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> I just gotta hop on the signal, right? <laughs> oh, let me uh, let me ask you this though. So when um, um, Joe approached you about the the school, correct? Um, um, you guys, um, what was the? I guess did you guys sit down and kind of figure out like this is a curriculum? I didn't want to be here. Okay. <laughs> I didn't want to teach. I understand that a hundred percent. I I was working. I met Joe in 19, uh, 1974, 75. Right. I was a member of the National Cartoon Society by then, and Joe just became a member. And we had a uh, a caricaturing uh, gig at a bank in New York, Manhattan Savings Bank, where people sat in a, actually the bank had a little uh, theater, and it would cause a, uh, people to congregate outside the glass window to, to watch what was happening. And we were caricaturing customers coming into the bank, and Joe was there, and Muriel was there. So that's where we met. A couple of months later, I get a call from Joe, and he says, why don't you come out and see what I'm doing? So uh, I had no idea what he was doing. I thought he was talking about a new comic book or whatever. Right. And 80 had just opened up, believe it or not. 80 used to end at Denville, the Denville Circle. Wow. And uh, for some crazy reason, I said to my wife, this was the mistake. Why don't you come with me, and we'll see what, what 80's like beyond Denver, uh -huh. and 80 was empty. We're driving out. We got here in about three minutes that day. <laughs> and uh, Joe leads me into the mansion, and it's a kitchen with a sink, a stove, and he says, I'm going to put a school here. I thought, well, <laughs> good luck to you. <laughs> and he's telling me how what he's going to do and so forth. Right. And uh, then he says, I'd like you to teach. 
this is Joe, I, I, I can't teach. I've been sitting up in an attic from 1950 to 1976, yeah, 26 years. I haven't even talked to anybody. I used to do my work and mail the stuff at night. I didn't have to shave. So my wife says, you know, it would be a good idea to get you out of the house once in a while. I said, I don't know. How do you teach Joe? He says, there's nothing to it. Just show him how you do it. I says, did you ever teach? He says, no. The <laughs> Leisner told me there's nothing to it. So it must be true. So I found out there was a lot to it. Uh, <laughs> so I, I started doing it. I, I, I began with two days. But, uh, it also speeded up my work. I, right. I used to take two days to do a Sunday page. Right. Then I found out I could really do it in a day if I had to. And that improved my work. Nice. Because teaching actually was a, was a big, uh, that's why I'm still doing it. Right. I still learn. Nice. So, yeah, can you talk about that a little bit, about how teaching kind of forces you to really, as an artist, remember the fundamentals of, of execution? When you, after 26 years, you're doing things by rote. Right. And suddenly you have to explain what you're doing and why. Right, right. And then you realize you've been doing something for a long time you don't have to do anymore. Huh. And that, you can eliminate that. That's why I was able to do the pages, my pages faster. Nice. So uh, I ended up doing two different uh, Sunday pages for King that way. Oh, wow. In teaching here two days. Yeah. And uh, it, it did get me out of the house. And I learned to speak. That was the other thing I forgot. <laughs> I held up something to teach that first class. And I said, this is a... And the guy in the front said, pencil. I said, right. <laughs> I mean, I was that, that, that bad. I, <laughs> Thank you. Ask him questions. Fernando, can you uh, speak to that, too? I know um, um, you're, you, uh, you actually have uh, teachers, like, you, you've Got you studied how to teach, actually how to teach. No, right? no, no. <laughs> it's from the hip. <laughs> I um, well, I mean, I was a substitute teacher. Oh, you're right. That's yeah. uh, the hell is hell. <laughs> um, uh, but what I said was, uh -huh. was very. Um, I was away from school for a year. Okay. Um, it was a year after I graduated here, uh, and I was just working because I went right to work for Archie right away right. and I was just home alone whole week just I saw that movie anyway so um, you know, you, you, you're working and you do things, like like I said, by Roy, you're sort of an automatic pilot. And you're not thinking about why you do this stuff. You're right. just doing it because it, it. it turns out right. right. Um, and then uh, Mike Chen called me and had me uh, start teaching the Saturday classes. Right. So I started that in uh, August of 1995. Wow. So it'll be 20 years this year. Congratulations. Thank you. Woo. <laughs> Maybe at 25 it'll be worth it. <laughs>
it was a year after that in '96 that I started teaching the full-time curriculum, and it was like. It was like Ty said, you go into the classroom and you can't just walk in and say, yeah, you just do it because. I mean, you, you gotta, you're, you're facing people who may never have heard of any of this stuff that you're doing, much less why or how. So you really have to put that into words. Yeah. And doing that really helped me figure out, this is why I'm doing stuff. And as you go, like, you, you even figure out better ways of, of doing stuff. and. Um, it also helps like reinforce, you know, why you know how you're doing stuff. Like, yeah. Every year that I teach perspective is a great review right. for me. So yeah, yeah. Cause I don't know who practices that after they graduate. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, when you're when you're turned loose, it's all shortcuts and yeah. and, and cutting corners. But it's all you have to show it to somebody yeah. who never did it. Uh -huh. You got to do it step by step. Right. Um, I, I want to ask both of you this, um, just um, how you kind of touched on a little bit, just dealing with people after drawing in the attic for, you know, dec two, two and a half decades. Um, what, what is it like um, just having to uh, communicate uh, in, the, in the classroom environment to, I mean, people come from now, at this point, all over the world, you know, to, uh, to learn this stuff, which I think is really cool. But uh, I, I've I've done some traveling. I know people people are different, you know, and uh, they're they're good people and they're really strange people all mm -hmm. over. Uh, so um, having this kind of this occupation to kind of force you to kind of deal with that, how is that has that influenced your art in any way, or like how's that has that helped, if at all? Dealing with people from other uh... yeah, well, just you know, having to communicate on a regular basis. Well, yeah. I sort of learned that you have to uh, find out at what level people speak English. Right. Uh, I remember uh, a Japanese girl coming in the first day and she was at the office and uh, I forgot who it was that said was going to lead her to the classroom. Right. And she spoke English and understood English but she learned learned it in a Japanese school. Right. The woman walked out of the office and said, grab your gear and follow me. And she stood trying to figure out what gear she was supposed to be in. Oh, no. <laughs> it was a natural thing for the woman to do. Right. But she was at, she was at, she didn't know what to do. Yeah. How do you move? What gear do you put it into? <laughs> so I, I remembered that. Whenever I deal with someone uh, from a different country, I try to find out uh, what level uh, they understand the jargon right. and uh, try to kind of keep it simple. Right. And then if all else fails, I call Fernando to speak Spanish. See. Ay, es muy malo. Manuel for the first six years that he knew <laughs> He still asked me to come over and mow his lawn. <laughs> well, does he pay well? I don't know. No. I don't know. Pay. <laughs> Give him some ice water or something, man. Not so much. Uh, Okay, Fernando, your turn for that question. Um, and I guess talk a little bit about just the need now um, um, because, um, you know, like 
in this day and age, you kind of have to be a business person as well as an artist. Oh yeah. Um, and so you do, you know, to some degree, uh, and I know we've talked about, I've talked to a bunch of students about this one-on-one -on -one and in groups, but uh, just having the ability to communicate who you are, what you can do, what your skill set is, knowing your value, you know, uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Like, does, does being in the classroom and having to interact with other people and explain things, like, does that give you a little bit more confidence when it comes to your own, your own business as, as an entity? You gotta talk good. <laughs> you gotta, you, you do, you have to learn how to communicate. You know, right. um, sometimes, you know, I, I interact with some students and I think, how the hell are you going to talk to anybody? <laughs> uh, you gotta, you gotta speak well. You have to sound intelligent. Right. Um, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I watch a lot of TV. I can fake it well. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like if you're, if, if you're going to hire a lawyer or a doctor, you know, right. you, you don't want to pick the brain surgeon who's like stammering and looking at his shoes. You know, right. you gotta, you gotta. You're gonna go with the guy who sounds like he knows what he's doing, so yeah. it's important. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else, being in front of a classroom, yeah. you communicate. You right. Know, you have to speak. You have yeah. to. And it's not even just uh, just teaching in the classroom, but you, you do conventions right. and you meet people there and you interact with them. And and when you hunt jobs and you you know you gotta yeah. you gotta walk that fine line between being a pest right. and a and a hopeful. And the stalker, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, you gotta show them you're persistent without being a jerk. Right? Yeah, exactly. You, you gotta make yourself somebody they want to work with. Uh -huh. Huh. Interesting. That's that's food for thought. QBs, young QBs. Hi. Uh, what was it like um, as far as your career? Um, can you talk a little bit about you know job to job? Um, I know now, like as a freelancer, you know it's like yeah, cool. I got this project. It's great. But like it, this project is gonna end in a week. And my bills are not. So, uh, what was that like? Uh, you know, going from job to job. Maybe you know, staying at, at one publishing house for a little while, and then you know, moving on to the next. Well, that's the freelance business. Uh, whenever you feel you have a sinecure, there's either somebody leaves that was your your patron, right? Or a new uh, thing comes in. A new uh, we're going to take. Uh, we're getting rid of comics, which was what's what was happening. The big companies, the slick magazines, who took on comics because at 1940, somewhere around 1940, they were selling 40 million comic books a year. So every slick magazine company yeah. went into the comic book business. And as soon as the Kufover committee started investigating comics, right. They all closed up. I, I walked into Hillman Publishing, which is a slick it was a slick magazine, and uh, he he had a huge uh, bullpen with a lot of drawing boards and everything. And a guy looked at my work and said, "I like your work. You come in next week. I got a script for you." I came running into New York. You had to come in with. You always had to travel. There was no teletype. There's no fax machines. There was no Skype, yeah. you had to be there. Yeah. And I walked in, the place was empty. The drawing boards were gone, everything was gone. I, I stopped the elevator operator and I said, what happened to, he says, oh, that was the comic book division. They, they're not here anymore. That was the story all over New York. Wow. There were 40 publishers. Right. And overnight, 
he ended up the six that are still working. Archie, Dell, well, Dell isn't there. DC, Marvel. Yeah. Uh, that, that was the end of it. Wow. Wow. So from there, so what, what do you do now? You're, you're a young artist, now what? Well, I, I, as I said, I was trained to do uh, reproduction lettering. Right. So I went into corporate identity. Right. Uh, letterheads, calling cards, all that stuff. Right. That paid well. Yeah. Uh, you pick up whatever you can to try to keep going doing that. Also, at the time, I was married to a woman that was a book jacket designer, which oh. helped. Yeah. And eventually, we both started working on comic books. Oh, wow. I was able to turn a comic book around in a week. I never told him the secret. I was penciling, she was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it's the ultimate team sport. I didn't hear you. Oh, I said, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Oh, no. <laughs> you got to get it done, I just done it. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really cool. Um, all right, so um, I, know, I know both of you um, have had very, very interesting careers and, and very um, different kinds of jobs as far as, you know, uh, what you know, the school trains for or, or, you know, what your own artistic background is. Um, can you talk a little bit, uh, I want both of y'all to answer this question, can you talk a little bit about Sometimes the job that you it's not your passion project, is the one that pays I'd better. I'd like to talk about that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I try to, well, you know, people come in and into the school, and I understand that. They want to be the penciler or the inker. They don't want to be a letterer. I understand that. Right. But you have to be flexible because at first, and oh, they only want to do Spider-Man. Yes. And I, I, I'm trying to get them to do, well, I, got, I used to do Archie, uh -huh. but now I try to get them to do a comic page. Right. Uh, comic pages now go on to uh, online. Mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of the pages, there's a strip that's being uh, run now about a girl and her unicorn. Mm -hmm. And it started online, and she's in newspapers now, so they're picking stuff up from there. Right. And I said, you got to be flexible. Right. You're not, that dream job isn't going to be the first one. Right. It could be lettering. Mm -hmm. And some people catch on to that. And I said, and Archie doesn't get a lot of people. Right. And every once in a while, one guy will say, you know, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember who it was, but one guy mm -hmm. did say, it's a good idea, uh -huh. and I think he's working at Archie now and doing all kinds of stuff. No kidding. Of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get to that. Oh. It looks like we're here. Oh. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed getting a little taste of the inner workings of the industry from two masters. If you're looking for any more information on either one of these guys, check out the show notes. There'll be plenty of links to take you all over the interwebs to find out whatever you need to know about them. And if you'd like to see the full video, there will also be a link in the show notes as well. Now, if you want to get a hold of me, I can be reached at mail at geekade.com or on uh, Twitter at geekade underscore Evan. So until next time, keep trying to find your whimsy.